I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make it obvious to those around you that you're my man. I'm working in you. And I'm going to make your name great. You know what? It's 4,000 years later, and we still talk about Father Abraham. We still talk about him. He's all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the founding father of three major religions, if you will. What's in a name? What's in a name? And as I told you, God does change his name, and that's what we're going to look at real quickly. Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 5. This is God speaking to Abram. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, which means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, father of many. For I have made you the father of many nations. And again, like I mentioned, his physical descendants populate the earth today of those who call themselves Jews or Arabs or uh, descendants of Edom or the Edomites. And you'll be a blessing. You'll have a positive impact on people. And I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. Make it pretty clear that I have my hand on you. And I will treat in kind how others treat you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Again, Abram, it's you. Your descendants. Your family. That I want to bless the whole world through. And if you know the story, how it kind of plays out. Abraham and Sarah will eventually have a son named Isaac. Isaac will have two boys. One of the boys named Jacob will have 12 sons. And they'll become a clan, a family, a people. Then 12 tribes, a nation, a kingdom. And God will reveal himself to them faithfully, showing that he's holy and sovereign. Unfortunately, in salvation history, they are unfaithful. They become a divided kingdom. They become exiles. They become a returning remnant. And they become an occupied people. But from that, even in that, Abraham's seed is revealed. That is the Son of God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised seed. And what's interesting as we start out the Gospel of Matthew is this what it says about Jesus. This is the genealogy of of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the seed. He's the answer. In, Gal in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul explains it this way. The promises were spoken to Abraham and his, to his seed. The scripture does not see, and his seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. You see, through the lineage of Abraham would his Messiah be born, would God's Messiah be born to bless all families, all nations. The gospel, if you will, the gospel seeds were given to Abram. But you know, this doesn't happen like this. The time of Abraham and his call to when Jesus was born is about 2,000 years. Why? Why does that take so long? Well, we're going to talk about the timing of the blessing. And part of it is because God takes the long view. 
God takes the long view. You know, the truth of the matter is, we live in an Amazon Prime society, right? We are so used to getting things instantly. Order something two days or less because we want it now. And that can be a, a defect in our character. You know, last week we were talking about Jacob and Esau. How Jacob, I mean, Esau was kind of a, a slave to that. He wanted to have his food. He wanted to have his food. He wanted to be fed right now. So he was willing to trade. He was willing to trade his own birthright for that. For a bowl of beans. Because he wanted immediate gratification. That's what can happen to us with sin. And he regretted it. But God is more interested actually is just as interested, I should say, in developing us in our faith while we wait as he is in delivering the actual promise himself, itself, or himself. It was true in a world history standpoint. If you think about when Jesus is born, he's born at the exact right moment when the gospel, gospel can spread throughout the world. From a world history standpoint, here's what's happened. Alexander the Great has come and kind of conquered the Western world. And so the Greek language is pervasive as a trade language throughout that whole area. And then Rome takes over, right? And they have their Roman legions that brings peace, and they have their Roman roads. So the gospel can travel up and down this whole trading path. It's a perfect time for the gospel to be passed along in the fullness of time. Jesus is born under the law to a woman. But from an individual standpoint, back to our story about Abraham. Again, Abraham is 75 when he gets, he gets his call. How would you like it if at 75 you kind of get called to start all over again? This is what God had called him to do. But you know what? Ten years later, ten years later, there's no sun showing up. You're going to make me a great nation, God? Really? And this is, what it's, this is the interaction between God and Abraham in Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so my servant of my household will be my heir. It's like, tick-tock, God. Time is running out. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up in the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And listen to this. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, God, I, I believe you. I believe you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And this line becomes the moniker 
of Abraham's life. That's why we call him the father of faith, because he believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness. That is complete right standing before a holy God. And as we'll see a little bit later, Abraham is far from perfect. He's far from perfect, but he believes God. He believed that he would do what he said he would do, that he would bless him, be a blessing to all people. And he becomes, as I said, the poster child for trusting God and ultimately trusting God for what he brings in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. This is the way the Apostle Paul explains it. Again, back to Galatians 3, verses 6 through 9. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are the children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to them, in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, the seed of the gospel is given to Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to bless all nations, and it's going to be credited to you as righteousness. And so at our point in this story, you would think, okay, we're ready to go. I mean, you know, Abraham has really crossed the line. He has believed God. He's ready to go. But what does God do? He waits 15 more years until he answers the promise fully. And in the 14th year, this is how God approaches Abram. Genesis 19.10. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Abram and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. And how do Abram and Sarah respond laughter verse 12 so sarah laughed to herself and she as she thought after after i'm worn out and my lord is old will i have this pleasure <laughs> abraham and sarah almost felt like it was a, it was a joke it was absurd we, we've waited and now you know by this time time this happens he's going to be 100 i'm going to be 90 God waits till now, but God is not playing a joke. He's not playing a joke. He's removing all doubt that he is the only one who can do this, who can be the author of this promise. And so he would say to these two people whose childbearing you know, time has completely expired, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything too hard for the Lord. And if you know the rest of the story, it's one of the great feel-good stories in the Old Testament. This is answered again and comes to fruition in Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as, she had, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. They named their miracle baby Isaac. Laughter. Because only God could bring back to life what seemed to be dead. 
You know what's interesting though? Draw this parallel. It sets the stage for another miracle baby. Think about this. Only this time, the issue is not old age. The issue is just the common components for biological conception here. Mary is visited by a, a, uh, an angel, Gabriel, and she's not known a man. And she says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, God's going to put his own seed in you through his Holy Spirit. And even your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. You see it? God is the author. The first miracle baby to Abram, yes, it was Abram's first seed. The second miracle baby serves to, serves to show that this is Abraham's ultimate seed. But in both cases, only God, only God could do this. Folks, sometimes God is waiting. He's waiting in what you're going through to show that only He can do this. I'll tell you what, I've had my share of waiting. I don't always enjoy it. But He does it to show me I'm the author of keeping this promise. I'm the author of meeting you. And it is in that place where true faith is built. That's where faith is really built. That's where you really learn to trust God, that He is the one who keeps His promise and does what He says He's going to do. So what does this blessing look like? What did it look like for Abraham and what does it look like for us? Well, one of the things that's pretty evident is constant grace. Constant grace. For all the amazing moments of faith where Abraham trusted God, there were plenty of opportunities where he was less than faith-filled. Moments where he was looking to his own cleverness, his own wisdom, his own resources. If you read in the end of Genesis chapter 12, you know, Abraham and Sarah have just freshly come to this new land, this new land of promise. And then a famine hits. And so they decide in their own wisdom, well, you know what? Down in Egypt, things are going pretty well. God had not commanded them to go there, but, you know, it's not looking so good here. Let's go down to Egypt. There's a problem, though. Sarai is a good-looking gal. I mean, so much so that she's desirable from other, other men. And the rules are not always applied really well in different societies. You see, if, if they're going down to Egypt, that means Abram is not a citizen. And he has no rights. And someone might try and take his wife. And so here's the deal, Sarah. We're, we're just going to say, you're my sister. Because, you know, we are half-brother and half-sister, and it's kind of a half-truth, but, you know, so they won't kill me. 
And then when someone comes and sees and they want to you know, say, well, I'd like your sister to marry me, then we can barter and I'll have some time to stall and, and you know, we'll figure that out along the way. The problem is, she's so good looking, she goes right to the top. And you know who hears about her? Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And what the Pharaoh wants, the Pharaoh gets. And so he had her taken into his harem to uh, collect her, if you will, to enjoy her at his time, at his own pleasure. Well, God is with Abraham. He's protecting Abraham. And he afflicts Pharaoh and his whole household with a plague. It's probably a skin disease. Everyone has it except Abraham and Sarah. And Pharaoh puts two and two together, and he goes, uh, okay, something's up. It's revealed to Pharaoh that Sarah is actually Abraham's wife. And so he's upset, makes Abraham and Lot and Sarah collect all their belongings and kicks them out of Egypt. Okay, lesson learned, right? We, 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 got, we got that class in the school of hard knocks completed, right? Except about 20 years later, he does the exact same thing with a guy named Abimelech. <laughs> Sometimes we tend to repeat lessons we've not learned well. Second of all, you know, again, there's the timing issue. And again, about 10 years into this, we're still not having a baby yet. You know, God's promise. Maybe we should, maybe, maybe we should help God out. And so Sarah gets the idea of, you know, I've got this maidservant, Hagar. We'll just have a baby through her. We'll do a surrogate thing, right? I'll give her to you, Abraham, and, and she'll get pregnant and have a baby, and then we'll call that's, that's the promised child right there. Well, first of all, that wasn't God's plan. And second of all, there's no good example of polygamy in the Old Testament. And it just causes, it just causes, wreaks havoc. They do. Sarah gives Abraham Hagar. And they have relations, and she gets pregnant, and Hagar starts looking with contempt upon her mistress. And Sarah gets angry, and she abuses Hagar, and so Hagar runs away. God has to address her, tells her to go back, say, I see you. And he brings her back and comes, and so they have a, a baby boy named Ishmael. And Ishmael grows up and he's about 12, but then God brings to fruition his promise to bring the, the child a promise through Sarah. And Isaac is born. And as Isaac is a little toddler, Ishmael makes fun of, of Isaac, and Sarah sees it, and she's going to have none of it. And so they kick Hagar and Ishmael out of the family into the wilderness. And God rescues them, brings them to a place of oasis, and actually grows up Ishmael to be a great nation. He has his own 12 sons, if you will. But... From that point on, there's always been conflict between the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that despite his failures, 
despite his shortcomings, it does not derail God's work and promise in Abram. The scripture says, God does not treat us as our sin deserves. And he is greater than our missteps, greater than our sins, and he's able to work in us and through us. And I don't know about you, but that's a great comfort to me. Have any of you had the moment where you sometimes just look back on your life and you think about an episode in your life and you go, man, I was a knucklehead. Man, I, I, I was doing what I thought was right, what, what was right in my own eyes. And I even thought somehow foolishly that God would bless it, but God was never in it. But somehow God brought me through it and met me. His blessing of constant grace of those he calls. It's an amazing thing. But ultimately it points to this need, the greater need. That all of us are in need of a Savior. All of us are in need of a Savior because of our sin, or because of our failure to be able to do what God calls us to do. Even this great man named Abram is in need of a Savior. Abraham, who sojourns with God, who walks with God, in fact God says, he's my friend. He never arrives at a place where he says, I got this, God. I've arrived. You've grown me up enough. Now I don't need you. No, he needs a Savior. He needs a Savior. He needs that grace. And so he needs a source of grace, which ultimately would be his seed in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the blessing of Abraham to us is this. Mary had a little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. Mary of Nazareth gave birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he grew up, this is what John the Baptist would say about his cousin. He would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you know, he was speaking figuratively. Jesus was, was not going to sprout wool and start walking around on all fours. No, what was happening here is Jesus is the only one, the sinless one, who could come and live a sinless, spotless life before a holy God. And he would willingly offer up his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As Chris was pointing out, this baby was born to die. And he did it willingly. To take our place that we might be restored to a holy God. And only God could do that. Only God could do that. Listen to what the words of Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 talk about as this, this, this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lamb who was slain. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, we're not blessed by Abraham. We're blessed through Abraham. God used him as the conduit through which he would bring his Savior. It's through Abraham's seed he would bring our Savior. He would bring Abraham's Savior. And again, as has been mentioned, 
All this is appropriated through faith. It all comes to you through faith. It came to Abraham through faith. Paul, again, seeks to clarify this. Genesis, excuse me, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're part of Abraham's worldwide family of faith. Because you are like Abraham, you put your trust in God. And ultimately what he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are recognized as being righteous because you have put on Christ who is our righteousness. You're clothed with him. You are children of the living God and you are Abraham's seed. Heirs to God's promise to Abraham so long ago. So with all that information, and I know it's a lot of information, my question is, Have you joined the family? Have you personally joined this family of faith? And it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive. It's open to all who will receive him. It's good news, folks. That's what we call it, the gospel. Gospel means good news. It doesn't matter who your earthly family is or that background. It doesn't matter where you have failed or where you have fallen short or your sin. Because it's what God has done. God knew we would need a Savior. That's why he promised him. The Apostle Paul again would say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And maybe you're going, Pastor, you don't know where I've been. I said, I don't care where you've been. I know where I've been. I know where I've messed up. And my sin is not greater than his grace. The Apostle Paul would say again, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Look, if God can save me, he can save you. That's the point. He sent his son as Savior because he knew we'd need a Savior. All of us, everyone in this room, everyone in this world. But again, the means of entering is faith. It's putting your faith in what he has done, not in what you can do. It's not clean up your act and then you can come to him. No, it's Put your faith in what he has done and let him change you and transform you. And let him come and live in you and make his life in you, dwelling in you. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 says, To as many as received him, that is, that is put their faith in him, even to those who believe in him, 
to them. To them he gave the right to become the children of God. Because you believed him. You believed in the Savior he sent. You believe in what he's accomplished. And you believe he can do it in you. So my question, if you've not put your faith in him, and if you have, rejoice. You are blessed. But if you've not, why not? Because he wants to bless you too. He wants to make you his own. He wants to give you the eternal destiny of this promise. The gospel came to Abraham in a little seed. It came to him. And today it has come to you. You have heard it. God has made a way for you to have a right relationship with him. He promised it from the very beginning. My question is, have you taken him up on his offer to be part of Abraham's worldwide family of faith, to be one of God's children? If you haven't, take him up on it. Love to talk with you about that after this service. Let me pray, and then I'll invite the worship team to come and close us. So Lord Jesus... I pray if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, that you'd be opening their heart to the promise you gave Abraham so long ago. To be blessed, to have life, and have life that is eternal. So Lord, we're grateful for this Christmas season where you, our long-expected Savior, came for us, and you will come again one day. But for those of us who know you, would you make us faithful with your good news, with your gospel, especially during this season where we remember historically that you came. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would grant us the grace of focus on you. That while there are some wonderful trappings to this season, we can get trapped in those trappings as well. So I pray that you would give us the grace to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and the lover of our souls. It's in your name I pray these things. Amen.